Welcome to The Real Build. I'm your host, Bill Ryman, your broker builder, and this is episode 149 of The Real Build. And in this episode, I featured David Friedman, who is a co-owner and CEO of Knox Financial, a, ser- a financial services company specializing in helping people turn the homes they're moving out of into market-beating investment properties. That is right. I was so excited to have David on because this is a topic I have not touched on. I've had investors on. I've had flippers on. I've had multifamily investors on. But David actually specializes in helping you turn your current home into an investment property instead of selling it. We dive deep into that because I was interested in this topic because I've actually sold my past home, which I probably should have held on to that. I didn't know all this stuff that David talked about that I could do in the opportunities that I had uh, to own another real estate asset at the same time as my personal home. We kind of go into that and the importance of it. Uh, and and how obviously with real estate, we all know it accumulates good money over time. It's probably one of the best investments you possibly can make. And a lot of people think they have to sell their personal home to move somewhere else. But David says that's not the way you have to do it. He teaches us how we should be doing it and some strategies that we can take to make our personal homes into an investment property as we move into a different home. So Hope you all enjoy this show. Obviously, you know the routine. I don't ask for much. I just ask that you like, share, comment, uh, subscribe on my YouTube channel. Also, share this with uh, one person. If you get value out of it, send it to somebody. And then also, if you can write a review on iTunes, those go a long way as well. But with that being said, let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to The Real Build, the show that shows you exactly what you need to look for in construction and real estate. I am your host, Bill Ryman, your broker builder, and each week I will teach you exactly what you need to look for, whether you are buying, building, or selling a house. I interview top people throughout real estate and construction, give you a better perspective prior to making one of the biggest investments of your life. I will also discuss my personal experiences as a luxury builder and real estate broker and answer your questions about the process. With that being said, welcome to The Real Build. David Friedman, welcome to The Real Build. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I was uh, happy you uh, came. We came across each other's paths here, and uh, happy to have you on the show today and talk some financials and what's going on in the crazy world we live in today in the real estate market too. And obviously, dive into construction a little bit. But before we get started, let's talk about who you are. So, who is David Friedman? Uh, David Friedman is a uh, father and husband. First, I have I have three kids. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I've been in the uh, tech and finance real estate space my entire career. I'm an engineer by training. uh, And uh, I'm a skier and an outdoorsman. So I spend a lot of time uh, outdoors year round. Nice. So I want to, so obviously I I read your background a little bit and you've been involved in some, some different things. Obviously you were in the technology space and I think you were in real estate technology and now you're in the financial world too. So let's touch on that a little bit from what you were doing on the technology side of things to what you're doing now in the financial space. 
Great. So uh, I entered the world of entrepreneurship in the dot-com boom and bust. So I started working at my first startup back in uh, 2000. Um, and I sort of caught the startup bug. Uh, I spent most of the the following decade building a company. And I guess, well, from the mid-2000s into the mid-teens, I built a company called Boston Logic, which then became known as Property Base. Uh, we made software for real estate brokerages. Um, that's been since sold to one private equity firm and then another. And these days I run Knox, which I, I founded with a buddy of mine named Spencer. And we make it incredibly easy to turn a home you're moving out of into an investment property and still afford the home that you're going to buy and move into. And that's what caught my eye with you. Uh, obviously, I'm in the real estate space too. I, I'm pretty sure I've heard of your company and when you were your software at some point in my life, because uh, I, I, I'm a broker, but uh, I was going to start a brokerage. But then I said, play the card you've been dealt, you know, focus on the construction end of things and, and stop getting so scattered. So I still do real estate, but uh, construction has been my main focus. But um, coming from the technology space and then going into the financial space too, why that shift? Why going? Because I mean, they're they're pretty opposite. So why going into? And then we'll get into what you're doing in the financial space because that, that's what caught my eye too. Is somebody can leave their home, create it as a rental property, and then buy a new home too. I'm interested in that. So we'll go into that. But how do you? Why why did you choose financials? Uh, you know, I spent a lot of time in the real estate world and first, uh, sort of became enamored with the data okay. and, uh, uh, there's a lot of data in real estate and that data starts with the physical. So you've got like, where's a home located? How big is it? Uh, uh, how many bedrooms, how much acreage, like the basic stuff. And that that's a crazy mixed up world you might know about because there's mm-hmm. a lot of inconsistencies in that data. It comes from all sorts of places. And then there's a lot of metadata associated with that. So what's the value of the home? How is that value trending? Well, what's the rental rate? How is that trending? Uh, we then came and said, all right, well, that's all meaningless unless you have people data because prices are only meaningful to humans, right? So who is the owner? Who are the potential buyers? Who's the potential renter? When you splice those data sets, you come up with some really interesting financial products. So once you understand a home and who owns it and who lives in it, you can start saying, okay, this person has these investing opportunities, these mortgage opportunities, insurance, um, and all the needs that come in and around that. Then you throw in a third fact, which is the vast majority of the wealth that normal humans like you and me create is through real estate. You go, okay, this is really where people need help. Uh, understanding how they can build wealth, how they can plan for their future, how they can retire. And and around that, we built, we built Knox. So how, let's go into how, obviously, with Knox and what you're doing. And you said you can get somebody, um, you know, that's in a current home that maybe wants to sell it and they can create that into a rental and then move into another home. So how are you doing these things? Because it is interesting. Uh, obviously, having your background data and getting into the data and the technology end of things too and then figuring out what you did helped you figure out the number aspect of it now you're dealing with the people aspect of it which is awesome so now how are you doing these things and let's talk about because i've had a lot of invest investment guys on here and you know they've kind of explained okay yeah we i flip houses or I, i buy multifamily, and a lot of people still don't understand how to do it you know, they don't understand the right. money end of it. It's just because a lot of these guys talk about it. They're doing it constantly. 
and they get so used to doing it that they're they're just not saying okay sure. how did you get started how do we get the money how can i get started in that right so let's let's build off the data theme so when you look at the data you find two things first of all the vast majority of homes in america when somebody moves out there's an amazing opportunity to hold on to that home and it will perform if you look at a long whole period say at 10 20 30 years it always beats benchmarks like like the S&P and not just by a little bit but by multiples mm-hmm. right and, and the the fundamental reason for that is you get a levered return so you've got a mortgage and you get the return on the the 100% value growth of the house by only but you only you know actually own 20 or 30 or 40% of the equity because that's your you know how much equity you have at that moment so um so bullet one is this is an absolutely outstanding investment opportunity when you move out of a home holding it is uh for you know the vast majority of people the right investment decision mm-hmm. uh the other thing the data shows us is most people have a decent amount of equity when they move and that equity is more than enough to cover the down payment on the home they're going to buy mm. so once you know those th- those facts or once we knew those facts we said okay well people just don't know this and know how to do it like you said yeah. you talked to a lot of people where it's second nature so um to do this first you have to have the fundamentals so you need to have property management rentals uh rent collection uh all that tenant placement all that good stuff um but there's a bunch of other uh realities in the financial system that you have to navigate so first thing you have to do is be able to get some of that equity and turn it into cash for your down payment uh we have created a specialized lending product that we call a keep loan that does just that uh and we don't care if you are moving out tomorrow or have already moved out of the house we can get you access to your equity um a lot of property owners are looking for ways to get say HELOCs on their investment properties and you can't find them in the marketplace we offer that okay so bullet one let's get that down payment bullet two is uh qualifying for that next mortgage so you have to have enough income to carry both mortgages and the bank's going to say okay is there enough income in the household to support the mortgage you already have and the mortgage for the home you want to buy. When they look at your income, they look at a, a bunch and they look at your income, they look at your expenses. What they need to to see is enough income to cover uh those expenses and usually they'll go up to say 40, 45%, maybe even 50% of your income. What we will do is actually sign a master lease for the home you're moving out of and that lease looks kind of like income to the bank. And our mortgage team knows how to make that deal work. So we can get you the the note you need to access your capital and then make sure that you have the paperwork for the bank to make uh, the, to make sure you can buy the scale of home you want to move into. So I'll give you an example. A client of ours, um, they've been qualified for a $600,000 mortgage. Once they had a master lease in hand with Knox, they, they uh, qualified for a $940,000 mortgage. So their buying power is sort of preserved by uh, by that master uh, lease they have in hand from Knox. Yeah. So and then the next part of it too is if they're keeping, they're taking out the equity on their current home, they're going to buy their new one, move into their new one. So how are they handling the rental and how are they guaranteeing that they're going to be able to afford that other home with a, with a tenant in that home? Are they doing a vacation rental? Is it how what what uh, what are they going with that avenue? So generally, Knox is putting a long term tenant, not not doing short term. Gotcha. So you homes. guys are you um, guys are putting the tenants on. 
Right. So we're doing the operations as well. Awesome. Uh, the, the way we look at it, um, most investments that you make, you know, let's just say stocks, bonds, mutual funds, like the normal stuff we do with the, our savings to, to, to turn savings into investing is passive. Mm-hmm. Right. So you, you, you work with a financial advisor, like a, a Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley or Merrill Lynch, and you trust that individual to uh, allocate your, um, your assets to serve your financial goals, whether that's affording retirement, college, whatever. Uh, when you make those investments, let's say you know, you're know you investing in Microsoft, you don't go to work at the company. Owning investment property should be the same. Hmm. So our first meeting with every customer is a financial consultation. We, we, uh, we've established the people we call property wealth advisors, and they're not financial advisors in the, in the sense of we don't do stocks and bond uh, management or, or, or recommendation, but we have built software to help you understand the asset or assets you own. And we can you know, do a screen share, Zoom, and show people, hey, this is the, the, the net cash flow we project. This is the rate of return given some modest assumptions on value growth over time. Here's a 30-year projection of this investment, and here's a rate of return. Um, when, when looking at that, people have this eye-opening moment, and they go, wow, this is actually way better than anything I might expect from, say, the public markets. And they have this aha moment, then it's like, okay, how do we make it work? And we've, we brought all the pieces to the fore to make that work. I, I love that. I mean, it's such a great idea um, just because it's just like hiring, like you said, hiring a financial advisor. You just want to get rid of that headache, that worry, that, you know, take over this stuff. I don't want to look at my stock, you know, or I want to look at it and make sure I'm making money, but you know, I don't want to have to deal with the stress of me personally investing in something where I can get trust and have you trust you and, and, and kind of have you leverage my money and deal with it too. And your side of things, you're doing it on the real estate side, but you're also doing it on the financial, you're taking care of everything. And I love right. that too, because it's, it's huge. Yeah. We're also a lot of that stress that like, will rent show up? Do I have to chase the tenant? We're taking out by signing a master lease. You're actually leasing the home to Knox. Now, not everybody opts for this. So when we sign that master lease, there is a discount from market rate. There actually has to be because you can have perfect tenant placement. You will still have some vacancy. You will still have some delinquency. It's always going to happen. So we have to uh, price that risk into it. So depending on the client and what they need. So some clients really need that master lease so that they can qualify for the right mortgage on their uh, the property they're going to acquire. That's really important. And the, and the discount to market is, is to be expected. Other folks just don't want to have to deal with that. And it's not about having a lease with a start date so they can close. It's just, hey, I, I'm going to take a smaller discount to market so that I don't have to think about it. Rent's going to show up in the first every month, 12 months, no doubt. We offer that product, or you can just say, "Hey, I, I want 100% of the rent, and uh, I will um, I will ride out the ups and downs of cash flow that inevitably happen with investment property." Uh, so, depending on who you are as a customer and your risk tolerance, where you are in your um, your lifetime, people who are young want different things than than the, than the retirement set. Uh, we have a few options to to choose from. 
So let's go into that a little bit more too, like how you transform a property into like the best selling investment, like step by step. Yeah. Like I come to you, I call you, I got my current house that I'm living in now. I'm like, okay, I'm in Naples, you know, this house, I got X amount of equity. Uh, Zillow yeah. saying my house is worth 800,000 or whatever. Um, you know, what, what can we do? What, what's the starting point? Cause I'm looking at another house I'd move into. Maybe I want to downsize a little bit, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Let's go step by so, step. Best investment is diff is not one answer. Okay. So I'm going to give you two generalizations. We generally look at people, people move at the bookends of life, generally speaking. Right. So you, you move when you're younger and that's usually because, uh, you're getting married, you're having a, a kid, a third kid, a 10th kid, whatever. Uh, maybe you're, you're taking a step up in your career, right? So you're moving probably into a bigger house and your W-2 is expanding, your net worth is expanding. Uh, you're confident that you're going to have income for decades and, and your investment property portfolio is not meant to support your lifestyle. It's meant to be, uh, it, it's really striving for rate of return, just like your your stock portfolio, you might go a little bit more risky, be more in the NASDAQ than say the, the S&P uh, in, in, a, in, a, in an equity portfolio. Um, so for those folks, it's, it's two things. First of all, um, what is your risk tolerance? How much certainty do you want? And then if you're, if you're a relatively high earner, you generally want to be very hands-off. People want to just like set it and forget it and mm -hmm. come back, you know, in 15 or 20 years and the kids go to college and be have their net worth go up by millions of dollars, which can happen in a lot of the markets we serve. Um, but the net cash flows are going to be very small, all right? Even sometimes negative. Sometimes, you know, you, you probably know this, you know, often the first few years when you have a new investment property, you're investing in it mm. to, to make it um, see better rent and, and, and be more hands-off. You know, there's, there's often some investment up front. Uh, so the question becomes, how are you, are you going to want to reach into your own pocket to do that? Or are you going to want to leverage your equity so that the home is generally cash flow break even? Uh, but what you're doing is taking a little bit of equity every year to cover those, those negative cash flows while rents go up and eventually cover cash flows. And then some day down the road, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's paying for itself by a lot. At the other end of life, people generally are looking for uh, cash flow to support their lifestyle and ideally tax-advantaged cash flow. And the amazing thing about property is the exact same home can do both decades later, right? So you start with that property that's relatively leveraged early on and not producing a lot of cash flow. Over time, you're paying down that mortgage. Uh, rents are going up. Uh, decades later, you're retiring and the cash flow has gone up by thousands and thousands of dollars a month. And by the way, you've still got some cost bases you can depreciate and offset some of those uh, expenses. Um, and that's that's an amazing opportunity. So you might have bought that home as the first place you ever owned, then became a high IRR rental property for a decade or two. And then at the end of life, it's uh, zero debt. And for decades and decades, it's just, it's going up in value some, and that's a nice uh, thing to have happen, but also rents are going up and net profits are going up. And that's a very tough investment profile to find for retirees when their returns are, say, bonds with mm -hmm. you know, fixed coupons. I mean, this is interesting, very interesting because you're, I guess the old school mindset too, growing up, what I, what I was taught, I guess, from my dad and so on, you know, you, you get, obviously you sell your, you can sell your house and make X amount. Like obviously our equities have all gone up in the last couple of years, especially here in Florida. 
Uh, you know, and the best strategy is, okay, I have X amount of equity. I've lived in the house for two years. Uh, so that's obviously ta for tax reasons. It's okay to sell now. Um, and then if you sell, you make the X amount and you pay down the mortgage so much and you can take that money and leverage it somewhere else. Now, listening to you, I mean, maybe that's not the smartest move and maybe it is better to stay in the house or, you know, own the house, rent, have it as a rental, uh, and then buy something else and leverage that cash or that equity that I have on this home too. Um, it, it's, it's interesting. That's why I was so happy to have you on here because, um, you're definitely opening new perspectives, especially to the listener. Um, well, thank you. Um, when it comes to the taxes, obviously, when you think about that tax advantage that you have, yeah. the, the the primary uh, residence tax exemption, uh, it is a really powerful mm. tool, uh, especially if you're if you don't really want to hold real estate long term. Mm -hmm. Most people think. Let's go back to, to equities, so stocks and bonds and mutual funds. Um, people are holding a portfolio for their lifetime, mm -hmm. right? Uh, we believe that people should think of real estate the same way. You should have a real estate uh, portion of your portfolio. And most people do that simply through their primary home. However, uh, there's this wonderful opportunity for you know amazing investment performance in investment property. And again, a lot of people don't do it because it's a burden. Um, if, if you think about that whole tax situation, you say, okay, well, I've got this like two-year window. If I sell it, I, I get the tax advantage. Well, why would you think you ever need to sell that property. If you look at the wealthiest people in this country, they don't sell much property. They hold it and then they leave it to their children. Mm -hmm. And one of the things a lot of people don't understand is unless you're worth more than $20 million or your state is worth more than $20 million, all the capital gains that happen during your lifetime are erased when that home is inherited by uh, your beneficiaries. So, mm -hmm. um, you can actually depreciate, and if you want to get into what depreciation is for your listeners, we can. You can depreciate your cost basis down to zero during, during your lifetime, and then the entire value of, of the house would have been capital gains. But now somebody inherits it, and all of that gain is erased. Their basis is the, is the current market value when they inherit the, the property. So the best thing you can do from a tax advantage standpoint is simply never sell. And if you want access to your equity, there's generally some financing available. Um, uh, you know, to, to turn that equity into cash. And as far as equity too, the best way to use the equity is what you're saying is to towards other investments to actually grow that money even more, because I've seen people pull out equity to pay off a loan or a credit card or something like that, which is probably the wrong way to do it. Um, well, I'm not going to say it's wrong. Cause I don't know what they're, you know, if, if you've got a credit card bill and it's charging you the high teens and you could do an equity loan, the, single digits like th that might be a smart yeah. financial move for a lot of people um uh you know home equity is an awful lot cheaper than a personal line on a credit card right so uh the right way to use leverage is, is at advantageous rates um right now home equity is kind of expensive right mm -hmm. so uh, what we recommend is is to get something that has a variable rate because i think most people believe that a, a year or two from now rates will have come down and so even if your borrowing costs are, you know, in the high single digits, low double digits right now, sometimes for second uh, lead positions on investment property, that that anyone would expect to come down once we uh, 
uh, get inflation under control. Let's go. Let's go into that a little bit and in inflation and in uh, rates and what the current environment. Obviously, I mean, you're we're all feeling it. I mean, in the real estate world, we're yeah. seeing things kind of slow down a little bit um, compared to what it was a year ago. On top of construction, uh, you know, it's kind of on the. It's not. We're still busy, but it's kind of slowing on, slowing down with new new people coming in. Um, What's your what's your kind of out, outlook on this market and what's going to happen? How is it affecting you, your business? What are you seeing as far as everything going on in the world today? Sure. So um, trades are tough to come by right now. You know, uh, both. I mean, our business we're we're pretty lucky. We 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 have enough volume that we generally can find folks. But uh, smaller jobs, it's tough. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you want multiple bids, uh, it can take a while. Uh, obviously, there's also supply chain issues. You know, you need a part for that HVAC system that just stopped working. Mm-hmm. Um, suddenly, a, a tenant needs a temporary air conditioning situation for six weeks until that part comes in. Otherwise, you're replacing an entire, you know, unit up on the roof. So that's all happening. Um, uh and that's, I, I don't know anything, that, or, or I'm not going to tell you anything that other people don't know, like labor is short and mm-hmm. supply chains are long. So the cost of each has um, uh, gone up. And so th- that's being passed on to the owners in our portfolio, but of course, rents are going up. So there's there's sort of an offset there. Uh, we'll see how long that those two keep balancing each other out. I think that you know housing prices are going to continue to go up for a while, or at least, sorry, not housing prices, housing costs are going to mm-hmm. continue to go up for a while. It costs more to power and heat a house now than it used to. It costs more to maintain a house now than it used to. Mm-hmm. And certainly borrowing costs have gone up. Yeah, I, I agree on that. As far as what do you think on the real estate end? Are you think are you thinking um, this is just opinion based, obviously for the listener? But are you thinking uh, you know the prices on homes are going to come down? I mean, we had such a such an increase uh, over the last couple of years, a dramatic increase. That, in my opinion, if they did come down a little bit, it wouldn't be the worst thing, you know, because when things go up and up and yeah. up, and everybody gets excited and thinks, you know, they're all going to go up. Now I'm dealing with clients that are like, "Oh, it's going to come down. We're going to wait." So I'm starting to see that end of things right. happening now. Yeah, well, you got two things. You got um, well, for, I guess the first question is: Are prices going to grow more slowly? Or are they going to actually drop, right? If they drop, a lot of people can say, oh, well, that would be good for Knox. Because more people want to hold on to their homes. I, I definitely um, believe that there are all sorts of people who were shopping for a home in, say, March, and they had a rate lock from January. And that rate lock said, you know, sub 4%. And that rate lock has expired. Even the Aprils are now expiring. And they're getting reset at six, mm-hmm. you know, that, and, and they go, Oh, and also that, that, that pre-approval letter says um, that their, their budget has actually come down. So either they have to go find a bunch of cash somewhere to, to buy any homes in their price range, or they have to tell their realtor or go into their app, whatever they're using and change the price range that they can't afford. And, mm-hmm. and that's a, you know, <laughs> that's a readjustment. You know, um, suddenly you're going from buying a five hundred thousand dollar home to a four hundred thousand dollar home or three hundred and fifty. And so um maybe when that home you really like for five hundred comes to the market, 
you're bidding for 25 because you can find another $25,000, but you can't borrow the extra 100,000. So I, I think there's going to be downward price pressure or at least, um, you know, when, 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 the, when the, the numbers come up and say, hey, they're up 20% year over year, because that's where, where they keep showing, you know, the high teens or even 20% year over year on a national basis. Uh, so that means, let's say a home was worth $500,000 uh, $500, last year. Now it's worth six hundred dollars if it's up 20%. Well, that means you can shave off, you know, $50,000 on that home and you'd still see price appreciation of 10%, right? So uh, will they actually fall? I think you need to see a huge erosion in demand mm -hmm. uh, to see that fall because there has been a, you know, the money supply has shrunk or, or, gotten tighter because of the, the 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 interest rates going up but people still want to buy homes it doesn't mean i don't want to buy a new home anymore it just means that what i can buy uh might be less expensive or or i just can't afford what my budget was before um and, and i i'm either going to bid less or i'm just going to look at different homes yeah it's an interesting it's all interesting what's going on too and, and even on the construction side of things um you know just the i think like the big mass builders a lot of their contracts are getting canceled you know the big developers and so on and and just because obviously what's going on with with the interest rate increases and locking in and so on too and and then i mean a good thing that might come out of the kind of slow down in demand on the construction side. And this is, would be nice. Cause I mean, we do a lot of high end homes, but we struggle mm. getting material uh, for our, these homes because a lot of these smaller guys that are doing, you know, mass amounts of houses all at once are taking all the concrete, uh, you know, the Pulte's, the Lennars, the big, big companies that are doing mass amount of development and communities. Uh, so we're we're having concrete delays, steel delays, stuff like that. So maybe this, what's going on now, will help free up a little bit more, so we can get concrete, we can get stuff on our end too to finish some of these houses. Yeah, you know, I, I think for almost the last twenty years, Americans got really used to almost no inflation at all. Mm -hmm. That that was that was a little. I mean, it was a little bit of a uh, false reality, if you ask me. And um, uh, I, it, to me, it feels like we're just sort of catching up. Mm. <laughs> um, and, I, and it happens to be at a time when there's like a big war going on and uh, any and a pandemic that we're still feeling the effects of. A lot of people have left the labor force. Like, there's a lot of things that are all going on at once. And I think economists are going to be picking apart and saying what the heck happened for <laughs> decades and decades, right? Like there, there's still debate about what, you know, what caused the great depression and what happened during the great depression. And like several Nobel prizes have been awarded by, for people who studied that for decades after that. So I think, I think we're going to see the same from the pandemic and the supply chain changes. You know, we, we, of course, all, assumed you could walk into a store and everything would be there and we wouldn't see big price fluctuations like we're seeing in avocados right now <laughs> you know um but but lo and behold uh uh the global supply chain is not as strong as we thought it was and that does have an impact on prices 
I think we're going to see a big reset in expectations and the idea that everything is shippable within a few days um, at, at almost no cost so long as you're a you know, monthly subscriber. <laughs> uh, I think that's going to go away and we're all going to go back to like, yeah, some things take a few weeks or even months. And, um, uh, you know, in- inventories are not necessarily the worst thing if managed appropriately versus, you know, dropship zero inventory businesses. Um, uh, th- that's my take. I, um, I, I think we got so used to like lunch costing the same amount every day for 15, 20 years. And now we're getting this price shock, but really I think we just, we didn't have much inflation at all for a while. And that, and that was, you know, that's just not reality. If you look over, if you just zoom out and look over a longer time frame, and that absolutely is true for housing and, and building materials, like you were saying, and labor, et cetera. Well, everybody got so used to the instant gratification. I mean, that's that's exactly right. what you're saying. Is it, it was just you know you you order something, it's on your doorstep the next day, and and it's just everything was so fast and instant and so on. I mean, it, even in the building world too, people were like on timelines and so on. Like they just want everything they wanted fast, but they don't know what goes into what we do too. Uh, you know, and and having that change, like you're saying. You know, some may say it's a negative thing, but in, in others that cases, it can be a positive thing too. Uh, kind of resetting and going back to, you know, what it was that people don't remember. They don't recall the past either. <laughs> you know, people just think of, they get so used to the last year or whatever. They don't really think that far, you know, into the past of how things were. Cause you know, with the, these f- cell phones and everything that we have, everything's so fast, but um, what you're saying, in my opinion, too, isn't a bad thing, because uh, to kind of have that transition of and get supply chain back to what it was, because, yeah, we did learn that our supply chain isn't as good as everybody. I mean, appliances are a prime, prime thing for us. I mean, when you're waiting 18 yeah. months for a fridge, it's just it's crazy. Right. I You know, there's also we've we as a society value engineered everything to the nines, mm. right? So um, the the parts that go into, like, let me put it another way, like Subway has been advertising a $5 foot long for I don't know how long, <laughs> right? But their costs have to be going up. So what are they doing? They're putting less stuff in it or less quality ingredients or, or they're doing something because costs do have to go up. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, if you go into Home Depot and look at the tools they're selling, um, I remember 20 years ago. So I actually was a carpenter 20 years ago. Uh, actually, more than that. It was like 20, closer to 25 years ago. Um, you go into the tool section and there was like a gate. I don't know if you remember this. Yeah. Uh, there was a gate and there was a there was an attendant because all the tools were very, the power tools were very expensive, mm-hmm. right? And Home Depot was selling contractor grade tools. And what they figured out was a homeowner wants uh, a DeWalt screw gun, but they don't use it nearly as much as the contractor. So they can make a different version and, and it looks exactly the same, but the parts inside are different. If you look on the package, the skew is different, mm-hmm. but the form factor is exactly the same. And that's because it has bushings instead of bearings and a smaller battery and you know a whole bunch of other parts are not steel, they're aluminum, who knows what, I don't, I don't know what DeWalt does, but they found a way to make a different product for, for the homeowner versus the, the builder like you. Uh, 
that has happened across food products, you know, building materials, you name it. Um, and that happened for years and years and years in order to keep prices down as well. So I think we've had all these forces uh, keeping prices down, incredibly low interest rates from the Fed, um, you name it. And now, you know, and, and now we're, we're in, in a world where um, that's no longer possible, right? And, and it seems the pandemic sort of jolted the world out of that. Uh, mm. And so we'll see how long it takes to sort of normalize and, and what the new normal looks like. Yeah, I agree. And going back into the, the the financial side of things too, do you see still real estate being a great investment? Because right now, obviously, you're seeing the doom and the gloom. I mean, you go on YouTube, you go on anywhere, and it's just everybody recession coming, complete collapse is upon us. Obviously, they're trying to get the views and the clicks and so on too. That happens a lot of the time with that kind of stuff, but. Yeah. Uh, you're seeing a lot more doom and gloom, trying to scare people, scare tactics, so on. Um, that's why I personally just avoid the news in general. But um, it's just, it's probably the best for everybody. Yeah. I've said that before. But um, it, it, what do you, on your opinion, what are you seeing? I know, I know, real estate's always been the best investment you can make. One of the best investments you can make. Um, uh, what do you? What's your advice to somebody that? is a little hesitant now just because the way the market is, which a lot of people are, like we talked about, they're kind of pulling back right now and thinking a collapse is coming or, you know, I can get a property for cheap. What's your advice? Um, are they, is this for their primary or for investment property? I'd uh, say both. We can do both. Okay. Yeah. I don't think there's a bad time to invest in real estate. Unless uh, uh, in, you really have evidence that, you know, there was a time a decade plus ago when there was just way too much supply, right? There was just way too many homes and too much money floating around the economy and prices did fall. But by the way, they came back, right? So even if you bought in 2008, if you, if you had a long enough view on the market, you did, you did well. Uh, so my answer for investors is always have a long-term outlook. Um, I'm not a flipper. I've never been a huge fan of flipping. I think there's obviously a way to buy a property, do value add investments into it, and and flip for more. That's just not how I think about the world. I think in, in more long term. Um, uh, I think a lot. I think some people go, well, now is an expensive time to get a mortgage, and I I couldn't argue against that. So if you're buying an investment property or a primary home, you go, oh gosh, these these are high. These are high rates. Well, at some point you're going to have the opportunity to refi. So, you know, don't, don't go, don't make irresponsible investments. Mm. So the numbers have to work for you, whether it's on the investment property itself or uh, for your primary home and your budget and your income, but there's no bad time to buy a home uh, in, in my view. And what'll probably happen is if you, if you are signing on a 6% mortgage today, which feels expensive, but by the way, my first mortgage you know, 20 years ago was, was also 6% and that felt cheap at the time. Right. <laughs> I later refinanced it at a lower rate when rates came down, but you will likely see a cheaper rate. Um, and as we all know, if you're sitting in an apartment, the rent's going up and you're paying somebody else's mortgage. Mm. Right. So um, I don't think it's a bad time to buy a, a home, uh, especially if you plan on living in it for uh an extended period of time, which is always a good idea when you're buying a, when you're buying a property. And again, on, on an investment property, the, the numbers have to work. You have to be even more careful because if you're buying, like a lot of people were buying fixer uppers, putting some investment into them, and and, and now they were 
making, uh, you, know, you know, commanding more rent. If you can't get the trades in there to do the work, yeah. then, you know, note that you're going to have a longer hold period and, and change your bid and, you know, in order to account for those things. But, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's always money to be made when you're making the right investment and being, um, uh, I want to say the word careful, but, you know, you're, you're, you're running your spreadsheets and you're really doing the math and saying, okay, this is what I can pay for this property given all these um, expected costs of operations or CapEx I'm going to do up front. If you're doing that appropriately and like that's the basis of your bid, that's a good investment to make at any time. So that's a lot of the stuff you guys are doing as well, too. So if somebody hires you, uh, obviously, you'll handle all that, kind of run the numbers and say, yay or nay, I don't like this house for this reason and so on, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we do a lot of that, but it's generally for people moving out of a home. So that moment when people move, the millions of people who move every year, uh, we want them to say... Let me understand my options. Let me talk to Knox. Our, you know, our initial investment analysis costs you nothing. Uh, you get on the phone with us, and we will walk you through the investment picture in front of you. And we can also, you know, it's a piece of software. We can change some numbers and say, okay, let let's assume rent goes up at this rate, or higher, or lower rate. Values climb at a different rate. What are the stresses here? Let's throw some um, additional annual maintenance costs on this property just in case. And and. The vast majority of the time, the picture is really eye-opening for folks on what kind of asset they already own. If you're buying an investment property and it's a fixer-upper, that's not really right for our platform. We are not um, in the business of doing like big renovations. In fact, all maintenance we do is zero markup at Knox. So a lot of other companies actually make a lot of their money on maintenance or uh, make-ready work, renovation uh you know, work when people buy investment property, that is, that is not where we make money. We, we actually pass those costs dollar for dollar directly onto our, our customers. And because um, we think that there's uh, that aligns our goals with theirs in a better way. So as far as um, trying to get my train of thought back here, as far as uh, is getting, so, you know, like uh, for example, my house here, um, you know, say, are you guys basically, you know, do, doing what you're doing, de- having a plan? Uh, so if I do, I have to find another house basically uh, to, you know, and then you guys kind of come up with the strategy on the rental here. I'm just using me as an example. Um, or do I go into another rental at the time? It's all up to the customer as far as what they choose to do. Exactly. So we have customers who are moving and renting. We have customers who are moving and buying. Uh, if you're moving and buying, obviously we're going to help make that transaction work so that uh, you, you qualify for that next mortgage and have the down payment you need if you need to turn some of your equity into cash. Uh, but once you say, yes, I want to do this, we, we take it over. We turn that home into an investment property. So we yeah. get you the right insurance. You need a different insurance policy. Uh, we come on in, take professional photography, get the home marketed for rent. Um, if you need that that guaranteed lease, we sign the lease and then go find a subtenant. Um and uh, you move on out. If there's a little bit of touch-up work, coat of paint, new carpet, what, ha- what have you, we make sure that happens appropriately. Every home gets cleaned. Uh, and then we, we move in that new tenant. We are in charge of collecting rent. Uh, mm. We pay the maintenance expenses through our system. 
uh, and send you the profits. It's it's pretty uh, pretty simple after that. And then what percentage are you all getting out of that? Because obviously I know with property management companies, so on, a lot of them take what, 20%, 15%, 20%, whatever. What are you guys on average? We, t- we take 10% of rent collected. Okay. Okay. Even better. Even better to the yeah. listener hear that. <laughs> so you got it. So you you guys come in, you you basically clean everything up if it has to be. If not, um, you know, you get a tenant. How do you assess? You just do kind of a rental market analysis of what other similar homes are getting and then kind of price it that way as far as rent. And then you search for the tenant and advertise and so on. Yep. We own a real estate brokerage. We don't actually do a lot of buy-sell transactions. It's all leasing, but uh, or almost all leasing, but uh uh, yeah, we have access to all the data one would need. In fact, a lot more data than most brokerages to, to price a rental. Um, in fact, before we before you sign up for our platform, we actually do a, a virtual tour of your home. So we, we do like a, a Zoom and you walk us around your house with your phone and we 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 basically um, inspect the home. We're not actually sending in a home inspector, like a licensed one, but our property operations people look at the home and they look for um, things that might be problems. And they also look to say, okay, well, uh, what can we see? You know, what do we see in this home that we can't tell from the data? Because the data you get is just a bunch of facts, right? So um, if the home is, you know, has a beautiful yard, is, it has a great view, uh, you know, the actual finishes you have that you might've installed in the last 12 months, like that's the kind of thing we're looking for. And that helps us price it more accurately. What we'll do is we'll look at the comps and say, all right, this is here's the video tour of this home that uh, is coming on the platform. Here's a bunch of other listings on the market that, you know, or either they're currently on the market or rented recently. Where does it stack up in this range of, of listings? And then also we, we do some data driven stuff. So what is the median or a, and, and average rent in the area? Uh, what's the standard deviation? Where do we think we're going to come out? We can give a range pretty quickly until we do that, that video tour. Um, it's hard to really know where you're going to come up in that range because so much has to do with finishes and um, how well the home is, is kept up. And last question, as we wrap this up here, I was just thinking about this. Are you seeing that? Cause obviously you're doing annual rentals um, in this general area. It's a lot of, a lot of areas in general. Now a lot of Airbnbs vacation rentals too. Are you seeing the annual rental market have an uptick in price because there's, on top of demand, there's not many options in annual because everybody's only willing to do vacation rentals. Because I started thinking about that too, is there's really not in this general area, a lot of people wanting to rent a house annually when they can make, you know, $1,000 a week or 5000 a week or whatever uh, in certain areas around here for vacation rental uh, and, and challenge some of these hotels. What do you, what are you seeing on that end? Uh, I think someday we'll probably get into that business when we start launching in vacation rental markets. That's that's not our focus right now. In in major cities, and we generally operate in metropolitan areas, you have a lot of annual renters, mm-hmm. right? A third of our country, give or take, at any time rents their home. That is pretty pretty standard in in America. And yeah, it might shift up and down by five percent as time goes on, but uh, right now it's you know it, it's still in that range. So. Um, if you look at that housing, so say 50 million families, give or take, rent a home, uh, half of that is owned by people like you and me, and half of it's owned by institutions, you know, large apartment buildings and and, and, and sprawling complexes. Uh, um, our goal is that when 
the other 75 million households move, they consider turning their home into an investment property. Mm-hmm. And if they call us up and say, hey, uh, Knox, we're, we're considering turning this home into a rental, and there isn't a lot of uh, long-term rental uh, activity in the area, we're going to tell them that. Now, that could be an opportunity. Or That's it could what I'm, be, yeah. Just me. Yeah. Yeah, it could be a huge opportunity. Um, I, I think that uh, the short-term rental market is probably part of what is driving up rents in the country right now. And that is certainly happening in pockets. So Naples, for sure. If mm-hmm. you look at, you know, I own a country home. I own a couple of pieces of property, actually, in, up in Vermont, in an area where a lot of people go for vacation. And uh, it is hard for local. It's actually, there is demand for long-term rentals, but people can't find affordable rentals anymore yeah. because... The two bed that you know maybe used to rent for, you know, say two grand a month is, is being Airbnb'd out for um, three, four, depending on what's going. You know, certainly you can get a few hundred bucks a, a night on the on the weekends in the winter when people are out skiing or during wedding season in the summer. So it's harder and harder for the locals to find affordable housing. Um, so that's got to be driving up long term rentals. Uh, along with all the other things that are driving up the cost of rentals, right? Cost of capital, like we talked about, cost of materials, cost of maintenance, cost of labor, cost of capital. Um, It's all driving up the cost of housing right now. So um, I think it's one of the factors that's going to buoy the uh, the long-term rental uh, rates in in the country. And um, I don't think that's going to change soon. Oh, I think, yeah, I think people like you and me have, I think it's very normal for people like you and me to look for a short-term rental on Airbnb or VRBO as an alternative to a hotel now. And that has become part of our lives. Yeah. So there's, it's not like people are going to turn those short-term rentals into long-terms tomorrow uh, until those long-term rental rates are arriving in the short-term opportunity. Yeah. And that's what I was kind of getting at too, is, is because there's so many short terms and I don't think they're going to go anywhere, especially in a town like this, that's so seasonal and people travel here for spring break and all that. Um, and summers are a little bit slower here. Obviously everybody kind of goes back up North, but, um, you know, where there's not a lot of annual rentals full time though, there's gotta be a lot more opportunity there to make more money in an annual rental. If you have a nice annual rental too. Yeah. So that's what I was kind of just thinking, you know, and the more, you know, with this house that I have here, uh, haven't done it yet, but if I do, I'll definitely be calling you for sure. But, uh, <laughs> well, you know, you know, in, in person like you, something is going to happen in your life that causes you to move, right? Mm-hmm. There's going to be a life event, right? It's probably going to be a you know, family formation or growth or a new job or something like that. And or and or you have some kind of like windfall in your career, and you go, okay, I can now afford to move into a bigger place. And uh, at that moment, there's this wonderful opportunity, and, mm-hmm. and you know it's our mission to help millions of families realize that opportunity and hold on to that home long term. So whenever you're ready to move for whatever reason, you know, please do give us a call. I'll definitely be calling you. So, <laughs> David, this has been awesome. I want to wrap it up with some personal questions. Uh, th- that I always ask everybody on this show. So the first one, one of my favorite questions is what about you personally? What lessons have you learned throughout your journey that we should all apply to our own business or our own lives that can help us grow? Uh, the world's about people. You know, it, it, it's not about making money or um, 
achieving greatness. It's it's about working together with other people and, and friendships that, that you build. So um, I think you, uh, as you grow through a career, you realize that if you can help other people build their career around you, you'll succeed together. That's probably the biggest lesson I've uh, I've taken away. And the other part of that is when you're building companies, and that's what I've done in my career, who you build with is uh, what makes it work. It's not necessarily the idea or the uh, the market uh, as much as who you choose to um, uh, have on the journey with you. I love that. Yeah, because going off what you said about people and making it about people, if you're people focused, you're going to have success 100%. It's, it's not all about the money um it's just when you when you're focused on the customer and the client and the people i preach about that all the time uh you're gonna have success and i have no doubt you already are having success but you're gonna have more um so another question i always ask everybody i ask about your past let's talk about your future where will we see david in 10 15 20 years from now who will you be oh retired i've had that answer a few times (laughs) oh yeah um certainly in the 15 20 year term um uh i've always had a goal of retiring when i'm young enough to really enjoy it rather than when i'm when my body has already slowed down you know so i I don't plan on retiring in my 60s i plan on retiring in my 50s and i'm 42 so uh a decade from now i'm definitely going to be eyeing it or i'm going to be in a in a uh professional position where I can um, live a less stressful lifestyle and, and, and work, you know, fewer than seven hours a week or whatever I do now. <laughs> um, so that's, that's the, lo- the long, long-term outlook. Uh, also, whenever I think about that, those time frames, I think about my kids and, you know, 10 years from now, my kids will be in high school and middle school. And um, I want to make sure that I have time to be with them. So that's, that's part of that mission as well. Uh, the other thing I really enjoy doing is, helping people who own or starting up other companies succeed. So I think that as I, you know, look at the long-term future and I don't think I'll ever truly retire. I think I'll be working with other people to help make their company successful in one way or another. I love it. Love it. And my, to wrap this up, what this show is all about, what exactly do people need to look for when hiring their next financial advisor, financial services company, and why should they choose David and Knox financial as their company of choice? Uh, the first thing is honesty. You know, you, you, you can't put a price on honesty, integrity. Um, uh, second is like sector expertise. So what you want to do uh, has to be something that they do every day, right? So uh, not to put anybody else down, but like a mortgage broker is not the person to ask about how to build a real estate portfolio. A real estate broker is not the person to ask. They're, they're transaction oriented and that's fine. Um, so, you know, we're the people who help you turn your home into an investment. The third thing is um, uh, the right fit for scale. So uh, uh, if you're looking for a financial advisor, which which we're not, I'll just use an example. If if you have a million dollars to invest, it would be nice to say, oh yeah, I want to work with this family office where every client has $25 million, but that is not right for you. Mm -hmm. And by the same token, if you've got a million dollars to invest, Robinhood is not the place to do it either, right? So you got to, so fit for scale is, is super important. 
Love it. Hey, David, this has been this has been awesome. I'm glad we got linked up. Uh, a lot of great information. I mean, we can talk a ton more about all this stuff, too. I'll definitely be reaching out to you when I'm ready, because uh, you've definitely impressed me with this, too. And I'm sure my listeners got a lot of value out of this as well. Where can people find and connect with you? KnoxFinancial.com. K-N-O-X Financial.com. Awesome. David, I appreciate your time today. It's been awesome. Thank you, Bill. Great. And for everybody that's listening, you all know the routine. Please like, share, comment if you got value out of this. And then five-star reviews on iTunes only allowed. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you guys on the next episode.